Yeah, welcome to the Two Stewards Show. In this episode, Mark and I break down uh, the seventh item in our uh, little mini-series here on why real estate is an asset class. So we talk about inflation. Yeah, we uh, we ramble a little bit. We cover a lot of ground That's in Mark's this one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is my fault. I'm the rambler here. But yeah, we, we again, covering inflation, how it can be bad for a lot of people, what inflation actually is. We don't always have a good understanding of it. Uh, but also how you can use it to your advantage and, and the way that you would use it to your advantage. Cole's notes here is to own an asset or assets that benefit from inflation. And, uh, you know, we've talked about real estate, why real estate is probably the best asset class for most people to own. And then, yeah, we just dive into how you can use real estate as uh, an asset to protect yourself from inflation. Yeah. So before Mark rambles on more, let's jump into the show. Hello and welcome back to the Two Stewards Show. My name is Brent. And my name is Stewart. Oh no, my name is Mark. There we go. <laughs> we're back and we're talking about uh, the seventh reason, uh, the seventh distinct reason why investing in real estate uh, is uh, better than investing in other asset classes. So we've kind of gone over the first six reasons being leverage and income in episode four. And uh, third-party asset paydown, so getting the tenant to pay down your debt in episode five, along with uh, price appreciation, so seeing the market go up over time, mm -hmm. and the infinite piggy bank, so the ability to refinance uh, your property and pull money out to reinvest. And we saved kind of the, the biggest monster <laughs> for last being inflation. So using inflation to your advantage, uh, when you invest in real estate, this is something that is pretty big. And uh, it's a little bit of a deep topic. So we're going to dive into it here today and hopefully explain a few things about inflation. Mark, maybe you can help us define inflation simply. Simply? Oh, I don't know if I can uh, do that. But uh, well, inflation is when something gets bigger. So one analogy uh, that may fall a little bit flat here, but is my waistline. <laughs> As I get older, my waistline gets bigger. And like with inflation in our economy, we just kind of take that as a normal thing, right? A man gets into his 40s, 50s, whatever, his waistline gets bigger, and that's just normal and it's expected. But what we've come to realize is it's, it's not normal, it's not good, it's not necessary, and it's actually harmful. So, um, you know, I have some work to do on that front, <laughs> but we <laughs> should diet get into and exercise. Uh, yeah, exactly. Well, there's things that you can do. You can I got diet Coke. <laughs> That's right. Coke zero. <laughs> It'll do, give me other things, but it won't make me fatter. Um, <laughs> but we're off track, but yeah, that's, that's, you know, inflation is, is something getting bigger. And when we're talking about it in economic terms, yeah. that is our money supply getting bigger. And most people don't realize it, but that is sort of the background to inflation. Right. Because um, we were we were just talking about this, possibly um, a young person looking at the market. They want to buy a house. Mm -hmm. um, I guess anybody looking at the market, they want to buy a house. And they're, they're seeing what happened in the last three, four years, how prices just took off. And that's kind of, uh, I guess, a symptom of the underlying problem, which is monetary inflation and asset inflation. Um, so maybe we can just um, kind of differentiate the different types of inflation because um, there is uh, monetary inflation, 
which I guess is the increase in the amount of money. So I don't know if you want to jump into that. What, um, what exactly, how does it, how exactly does that work? Like how is money created in the first place in our present world? Like the government prints money. Yes. How does that work? <laughs> yeah, we hear that. They print money. So everybody has this idea of like a printing press. And I was trying to explain this to my kids the other day too, which maybe it's a little bit, a little bit advanced for them, but they're like, how is money made? And trying to explain to them like, yeah, there's physical money. Cause they're, you know, one of them had a loony and like, how's it made? Okay. Well, it's made by combining yeah, all these metals and stuff myth. and the government prints it. But really, really, this isn't as important as the money that's on my phone or on the computer because I can send that. And, and that's where money is actually created. But, you know, for a six-year-old, that's getting a little bit uh, complicated. But yeah, essentially, the government controls the amount of uh, money in circulation. And that, you know, for each uh, country, as long as you have your own currency, there are countries that don't have their own currency and they're even in a, like a far worse situation. Uh, if we can get into that later on, but you've got still like a number of African countries that are dependent on uh, French currency and what happens with, <coughs> with, um, yeah, with that. Um, we could probably leave that one for now. But yeah, essentially the government has a few different ways of introducing new money into the system. And we just take it for granted that, that they have to do that. They have to do that. That inflation is necessary, right? In 1950, a loaf of bread cost a nickel. So now, you would disagree with the statement that uh, inflation is necessary? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So, because yeah, we've kind of grown used to 2% or whatever the target is set by the Bank of Canada. You know, hey, we got to hit this. Um, we hear the rhetoric in the news now, like hey, inflation is high. Mm -hmm. And we heard, I guess, a couple of years ago that inflation was going to be high, but it will be transitory. It will go away. <laughs> <laughs> well, first it was, there's no inflation. Like, yeah. I mean, there's no the inflation. It's normal, right? Yeah. And then when it was too obvious to hide, well, it's transitory. Yeah. And then, uh, well, so how, how do they actually, let's just get off the monetary thing for a sec. How do they actually measure this inflation? Um, because the government does report inflation to people and, uh, we kind of look at that number, right. And that usually is a 2%, but what does that actually mean? Like, how are they getting that number? Yeah. So that's, that's typically CPI, the consumer price index. And, uh, that's, it's a basket of goods, right? So if you think of like a basket of groceries, um, groceries is, is one component of that. And then you've got other things like shelter and fuel. And, um, so they're all things that people would need to buy on a regular basis. Yeah. To... So the idea is we have this basket of goods that, you know, remains constant so we can compare apples to apples so that we know that, you know, five years ago, this basket of goods that I need, um, to live cost X and now it costs X plus a hundred. Right. So that's kind of a good, you know, great idea. But what we found is that the government changes what's in that basket of goods kind of to suit them. And the, the definitions in the States again are changing. Um, and I would be surprised. Yeah. Like very recently, I would not be surprised if that means that we see a drop in the headline inflation number. Right. So one example would be if you, um, you know, if you enjoy steak uh, and the cost of steak is going up, they don't just be like, they don't just say, well, you know, steak, 
a pound of steak costs, um, I don't know, I should know this, I like steak, but you know, let's say it costs <laughs> five bucks a pound for a nice Angus steak uh, or a, a cut of uh, Angus beef, and now it costs $7 a pound. Well, that's inflation. It went up by two bucks a pound. Yeah. But what they'll do is they'll say, well, that looks kind of bad. And that's like, that's a lot higher than 2% over a year or two years. So what we'll do is we'll throw chicken into the basket now instead of steak. And the reasoning is that people will change their habits, which is true, right? And if I can't afford steak anymore, I'm going to buy chicken. So really now they're measuring not just a straight cost of goods, but they're measuring behavior. Yeah. And, you know, that has value to it, I'm sure. But when I'm, we're talking about inflation, I want to know what the actual inflation is, what steak costs then and what it costs. Yeah, now. I can what see how that can be skewed because if I'm if I'm somebody living on a fixed budget every month and I got, let's say I got $2,000 to spend mm -hmm. on what I need, um, I'm going to make decisions. If the price of something goes up, I'm going to decide to not buy it or mm -hmm. maybe to buy something that's cheaper or, um, you know, maybe wait an extra week or two to buy what I do need. So you're, yeah, I guess your quality of life in that, in that situation will go down and down and down, um, because you're substituting alternatives for what you actually really want. Yeah. And in that case, that measurement of inflation is not bad might be 3%, right? So the government can say, look, we've contained inflation at 3% and uh, like everything's groovy. But the fact is the quality of life of your citizens and especially the most vulnerable and those on fixed incomes has decreased dramatically. And that's what we've seen in the last few years, right? We talk about housing prices a lot because we're in real estate and that's what we uh, like to talk about. But just the cost of groceries and uh, you know anything else you can imagine has increased so much that if you don't have the same inflation of your wages, so if you're on a fixed income, you generally don't, um, you know, maybe 2% a year, uh, that you're, uh, you know, if you have like a, an inflation indexed pension, and this is where it gets kind of interesting, right? <laughs> where you can see how it's me. <laughs> the government's interest to maintain a low measure of inflation, not yeah. actual inflation, because everybody knows that for the past few years, inflation has been way higher than three or five or, you know, let's, let's say we're at 8% now, way higher. All you got to do is look at your grocery. Okay. Bill. So what makes the price go up? Because, um, like something's got to originate this, right? It's not like the guy at the grocery store just says, all right, like, you know, I got to have to charge more for this because the farmer is charging me more and the farmer just decides he wants to charge more because, you know, like, where does it start and how, how do we look at the whole picture? Let me zoom out. Yeah. So we look at the supply of money in the economy. So the most commonly used um, example would be M2. Um, there's M1 and M2, but M2 is like basically the total supply of, uh, of liquid dollars in the economy. And that has increased dramatically. So the government has a few different ways that they can increase the amount of uh, dollars or really of debt into the economy. And it's important to, I mentioned debt, because it's important to remember that the only way new money is introduced into the economy is through debt. They're not create, the government doesn't create any value. So when they add dollars to the system, um, that's through debt. And that's not through just like adding more valuable things, right? People doing trade introduce valuable things to the economy. The government only introduces debt. So the ways that they can do that is by, um, by selling bonds. That's a very common method. 
government would sell bonds and then people, companies will buy that. Sometimes the central bank will buy it. Um, and what's a bond? So a bond is... A bond is just debt. a promise to pay, right? So, you know... Uh, and it's a pretty secure... Bucks, it's a pretty secure promise because it's the government promising. Depending and... on which government you're, uh, <laughs> you're dealing with, right? If you look at, you know, some of the South American countries, um, maybe it's not as secure as you want. And that's, you know, there's a huge market for bond trading. And actually the bond market is, you know, 10 times at least the size of the, uh, bigger than that, uh, of the stock market. And usually when we think about, you know, investing in stuff, we think about the stock market, but that pales in comparison to the size of the bond market. And the bond market would include corporate bonds, but also government sovereign bonds. Okay, so that's uh, one way the government produces these new dollars, the selling bonds. That's, that's one way you're pulling me back on course here. <laughs> <laughs> right, and the other way is that banks actually can create money as well by issuing debt. And the most common way that a bank issues debt is through mortgages. They can do business loans as well, so that that's workable. Um, but yeah, mortgages are the biggest thing, and especially in Canada, right? Like half our economy, probably 40% of the economy is based on housing, which is just blows my mind. But um, yeah, that's, that's the most common way that money is introduced into the system. And this, most people don't understand, I think, and I, you know, for most of my life, I, I didn't understand this, but when a bank gives you a mortgage, that is money that did not exist before, right? They may be paying off some other loan so that, you know, that money that was introduced um, is, is now gone, right? The only way that you can reduce the amount of money in a society or in our society is by reducing debt. So if you pay off that debt, you actually reduce the amount of money in circulation. But getting back to the mortgage, right? If I get a mortgage for 500 grand, that is $500,000 that did not exist in the economy beforehand. So if it's yeah, so me getting the mortgage, yeah, right? That's, you're in effect devaluing everyone else's savings. Yeah. yeah, if you don't have a mortgage and I do, I've just devalued your savings if you have any. Um, and, you know, by a very small, small percentage, but when you add up the amount of mortgages that are being created daily and mm -hmm. the amount of government debt that is being created daily, um, it has the effect of devaluing the savings that we have because... Yeah, that makes me very frustrated. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, if you just think of, um, I don't know, a simple example of like bananas, right? If, if we're, you know, I start to grow bananas and nobody else is, I've got a valuable asset there as long as people want to eat bananas. But if my neighbor and his neighbor and 10 other farmers start growing bananas, all of a sudden the value of those bananas drops, not because they're less nutritional or yeah. the color is different or anything has changed about them. It's just the simple fact that there are more of them. So now people don't need to work as hard to get a banana. So when it's scarce, uh, assets or money is more valuable. When you increase the supply of it, it becomes less valuable. And that's yeah. what inflation is. It's increasing the amount of dollars that are in circulation. And yeah, that, that's how our, our system works. And the government will tell you that inflation is necessary to increase the size of the economy. When uh, I say that's hogwash. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I'm just thinking how to apply this to uh, real estate specifically in terms of how can it be to our advantage? Because 
Um, if, uh, like the thing you said about getting a new mortgage, so that new debt actually devalues everyone else's savings. Well, if I can get on that train and get a new mortgage, I'm, I guess I'm kind of contributing to the problem, but I'm also acquiring an asset that is going to benefit from asset inflation, right? Yeah. Yeah. So everything like inflation is not a constant number. We can measure simply the amount of dollars in the system and say like, that's our measure of inflation, which actually would probably be a really good way of doing it, but that's not how we do it. Right. We have this basket of goods. If we talk about, you know, um, consumer inflation, but when you look at everything, right, groceries goes up even among groceries, right? Steak will go up at a different rate than apples will the price of those things, right? So the price of, uh, residential real estate will increase at a different rate than maybe commercial real estate or the cost of a car. Yeah. And the, the price of real estate in one area versus another and one type of home versus another. Yeah. So there's all different rates of inflation. And we have seen that over time, residential real estate has uh, had a fairly steady increase in, uh, you know, in the increase in value. Um, so you could say that, you know, inflation affects that in a positive way. And it has been ahead of the, um, of, of the actual rise, like the average rate of inflation, right? And that's generally what we talk about when we, you know, inflation is at 3%. That's sort of the average rate using the basket of goods that we're talking about. And then, um, yeah, inflation over time has consistently beat that, sorry, real estate over time has consistently beat that rate of inflation. And then if you're in real estate and you get the right kind, you can do even better. So when I get that mortgage, so let's say you're sitting on a down payment and I'm sitting on a down payment and of a hundred grand or whatever. yeah. And you're not sure, you know, should I buy stuff? Maybe I'll just save my money because that's prudent. Right. And I'm like, well, no, I'm going to go buy another house and get a mortgage and, um, we'll see what happens. So in couple of years, maybe in five years, the value of my real estate has increased. And we know that it's not a constant thing, right? There's ups and downs, but we're looking over the long term. So my real estate has increased steadily year over year. So I've actually gained money um, by making that investment, by taking on more debt. Because again, we, we talked about leverage. So I'm going to use that 100000 to buy maybe a $500,000 home. If the value of the home goes up $100,000, well, now I have 200000 You're sitting on hundred grand in savings. In five years, inflation actually eats away at the value of your savings. So let's say inflation is you know 2% a year. Every year you're losing uh, two grand. Um, you know, and, and that compounds over five years, but let's say in five years, you've lost $12,000 in the value of your money. You still have a hundred thousand dollars, yeah. but the actual nominal value, dollars, nominal dollars, the, the real, but yeah. In name only, not yeah, in value. The real value of that has decreased. And then a good example is to look at maybe you're like, oh yeah, you bought a house. That was a good idea. I should buy one. Well, maybe you can't buy a house now with that hundred thousand dollars or the kind of house that you can buy. You can't buy the same one that I bought because that house is now worth Mm 600,000. So you can't get that same value. So what changed? The only thing that changed, like the amount of money that you had didn't change. 
Mm-hmm. You stand, you work just as hard as it, as uh, for it, as I did, yeah, if not harder, but what you can get with that has changed because the actual value of those dollars has decreased. Yeah. So to me, saving in the system that we have in a debt based system, saving is not prudent, which Frankly, seems, have some that seems contrary to, uh, I guess what we've been told all along, right? Like you think, Hey, um, you know, grandma says, Hey, here's $2, put it in your piggy bank. Yeah. Right. That whole mentality, like save your money for a rainy day for the future. And like the instrument of saving money just doesn't work when you, when you put money aside and you're trying to outpace inflation, um, you're going to lose because it's just this tidal wave. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah, I want to pick up on something you said about inflation, how inflation is different for everybody because, um, like, yeah, somebody might be looking at this saying, well, like really my life hasn't changed much. Like my rent is kind of the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, it only goes up two and a half percent. Um, you know, I eat pizza every night and I play video games. So like, I don't need to worry about inflation because those things are actually going down in price. Like the price of a TV has gone down. Uh, technology makes it a lot easier for us to afford things that we never could have dreamed of. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but for somebody who actually wants to like grow their wealth or to build a business or uh, plan long-term for the future, and maybe they want to eat steak instead of pizza, <laughs> um, their inflation number is going to be different, right? They're, they're, um, gonna, they're going to realize probably a bigger hit than the other guy because they're looking at their grocery bill and they're buying the same products they've always bought. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they're trying to buy even more expensive stuff because they believe it's more nutritional or, um, you know, maybe they got a job, so they need to drive to work. So now they need a car and like, they're trying to advance their life. So if you actually want to go somewhere and, um, achieve something, your inflation is going to be even higher than the average or the norm. Um, and certainly then somebody who kind of just, you know, doesn't do much and relies on, um, like the cheapest services possible to, mm-hmm. um, to live. So, yeah, what, like what happens is your choices are limited. So if you want to just play video games and eat pizza, uh, like even pizza, like I, it's kinda... I like myself a frozen pizza. Okay. Like I love to cook and I'll make fresh pizza. Um, but you know, a guilty pleasure is just having a delicio frozen pizza. And I like, I like them. They're terrible for you and everybody <laughs> likes them, but I like them. But I remember when I could get one for like three bucks and this is, you know, maybe 10 years ago. And yeah. for a while I kind of lived on frozen pizza. Um, but now they're, you know, eight, nine bucks for a frozen pizza where it's like, I can make one so much cheaper if I just, you know, I buy the ingredients. So I'm going to sp- spend so this kind of gets back to the choice thing right so i can take a little bit more money i can spend probably 20 or 30 bucks and get all the ingredients that i need to make a whole bunch of pizzas i gotta come up with a little bit more money right and and do that and then you know it takes more time and i need to have an oven and some of the things that it takes to make those pizzas but just getting back to it inflation limits your choices if you just if you find you know, doing your daily thing, eating pizza, playing video games. Great. If you want to start a family, well, now maybe you can't because all of a sudden, well, you got to move out of that apartment 
and that apartment may have, you know, increased in price 2% a year, 1% a year, whatever the allowable maximum is in, in Ontario anyways. Um, but now if you want to buy a house and I see this sometimes where people don't really pay attention to real estate or rent, right? You maybe you just want to get a bigger apartment. Mm -hmm. They kind of start looking at prices and you're like, what? Like what? There's no way I can afford this. This is ridiculous. If you just look at the price of rent in the past 10 years. Um, yeah, and yeah, we from... have some tenants and properties that we manage that we know will never leave unless they die because yeah. they're sort of working their job. Uh, maybe not great jobs, but you know, it's their, their job. They're not making a ton of money, but they, it's enough to pay the rent and that rent goes up a little bit every year, but there's no chance that they will ever be able to afford like never mind a house, but just another similar apartment, mm -hmm. a similar one bedroom apartment somewhere else. No way. So that really speaks to the, the, um, the segregation between, I guess the rich and the poor and the destruction of the middle class in between, because you end up with people who used to kind of be middle class and they have, you know, they could rely on an income and buy a house. And like you talked about before, just, you know, there used to be the norm. You just get married, you get a job, you get a house and you live happily ever after. But now it seems like more and more, uh, the people who can afford a house early on, they're riding this train of using inflation to their advantage, uh, holding an asset and going up over time. And the people who don't choose to buy uh, are getting left further and further behind. And that, that chance of them getting off of that train uh, is just getting more and more difficult, right? Yeah. 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 I mean, we talk <laughs> about middle class, like this is something that always existed. Middle class is a fairly new phenomenon too, right? You, you historically, know, like on the historically, the you've got the rich and the poor, yeah, right. And with the increase in you know with uh, capitalism and so, like, unless you're born into the rich upper class, you're not, yeah, going to come into wealth. No, there's there was no way. But then, yeah, we saw like trade become more important and sort of the development of you know the Middle Ages. You had like the merchant class now, and there's a chance to because there are social constraints as well, but. Yeah, you could use trade to increase your position and, and kind of gain more wealth for yourself. But yeah, just in general, the middle class is kind of a 20th century idea, right? That we've right. Um, become accustomed to. But when you go back in history and look at the history of money in society, that hasn't always existed. And I'm all for the middle class, right? A middle yeah. ground where you're not filthy rich and you're not dirt poor. Well, in terms of society, like you almost want to live in a society where everyone has the opportunities to to grow and to build a business and to have their wealth grow as well. And like a more peaceful society where there's not so much disparity, like you can, um, yeah, I find it's probably a lot more enjoyment you can find in society, just, you know, going to different establishments that wouldn't exist if you just had a bunch of poor people and a bunch of rich people. Yeah. Right. Like, um, yeah, yeah you really have human flourishing when you have all these opportunities. Yeah. And, and that, you know, that should be available for everybody. Right? Maybe I just like pizza and video games. That's fine. But I want the choice or the the option to do something different right. if, that's, if that's what I choose. And yeah, when you kind of look at it from a Christian worldview as well, that option should exist as well. We shouldn't um, have a system where people are forced to live in poverty. Right? We can talk about riches and the, the dangers of that, but uh, poverty is also not a good thing. 
for people. So that's why, you know, the middle class is a nice middle ground where you have the, the ability to, uh, to kind of attain that. Okay. So we've got a lot of circles here. So we've got mm -hmm. <clears throat> inflation is the increase in something. And we're talking specifically about the increase in uh, money or the increase in um, the amount of money in the system and how that leads to the increase in prices and everything. Because when there's more money out there, um, the value of like the number of goods doesn't change. So we have more dollars chasing fewer goods and we end up with price increases. Um, at the same time, we also have assets that um, go up in value because the same more dollars in the system um, chasing the same scarce resource real estate. Um, those real estate prices are going to go up. So it only makes sense that um, we, we buy an asset and we hold on to it and let inflation work to our advantage in the background. So whether or not you actually believe uh, inflation is a good thing or a bad thing, it's still, this is still one way to look at it is what is the current system like and understand it better. And hopefully we can kind of paint that picture for you right now, but um, there's a lot to learn here um, that you can really go into and figure out all these different concepts and why all this stuff happens. Um, but one thing is to, um, to know it. And then the other thing is just to act accordingly. Right. So mm -hmm. uh, when you think about what stewardship is, is like you have all this wealth, you have all these assets you have, but you have to do something with them and you have to act and you have to do that in the context of the reality that we live in. So whether or not you think inflation is good or destroying the middle class, the, that's the reality, right? Like yes. we can't avoid the fact that the government does print money because it has to um, some of these different concepts we were talking about how, um, new mortgages create debt. So that's an opportunity, right? Um, so looking at these things, say, I don't agree with it, but how do we use it to our advantage? And, um, real estate is, is definitely, a, um, I mean, other, other assets, like anything that you own that's scarce will beat out holding currency and saving, mm -hmm. but real estate, because of some of these other things we talked about as well, allows you to leverage into it and allows someone else to pay for it. And then it grows over time um, because largely in part because of uh, demand, because population growth or whatever, depending on where you pick to buy the property, but also because of inflation um, devaluing the dollars and the, the real estate saying scarce. So yeah. just trying to circle back to <laughs> what the whole concept is, whether or not you agree with it, it is happening. So use it to your advantage. That's kind of my statement. Yeah. And would you rather have something that the government controls? And I'm not like, you know, anti-government conspiracy theorists or whatever, but would you rather have something that the government can control the value of or something that you have much more control over? Maybe not necessarily the value. You mean like the, would you rather you hold the currency? The yeah. Would you rather hold the dollars or real estate? Well, dollars, the government can do almost anything with. And we've seen that in the last two years, they flick a switch and they print billions or trillions, depending which country you're in. Yeah. Yeah. I was just uh, reading a little bit about uh, Nigeria as well, where they're creating their central, I'm going off on a tangent here. <laughs> so you're but... trying to move to Nigeria now? <laughs> no, no, I don't want to move there. Um, right. They've created a central bank digital currency and they've said it like everybody, you need to turn in your cash because we're going cashless. And we're going to have this centrally um, managed digital. I mean, it was all centrally managed, but we're going to have a digital currency. And they have, you know, taken in something like 80% of the available cash. 
that is available in society. And now they're going to do this digital currency. And the thing with cash is if I hold cash, like cash doesn't care who, who holds it. If it's in my pocket, then I can do stuff with it. Whereas the digital currency, that's the government being like, well, you know, you're not such a great citizen. I don't think you should be able to maybe, you know, you can use it yeah. for innocuous things at first. Like, you know, you can't use it to buy illicit things. And then maybe, well, we don't think you should buy that much alcohol. So we're going to limit your ability to buy that at the, uh, at the liquor store or <laughs> apply. Well, what your point you is too, is that you're actually relinquishing more control. Yeah. So the trajectory is the government currently has control of the current system. And then with like central bank digital currencies or some of these other topics of conversation, like they're actually taking more and more control. Mm -hmm. So is there a way out of that? Yeah. And so real estate is one sort of way out of that, right? I mean, we, we have property rates kind of enshrined in our culture. And that's one of the most important things actually that we can have uh, is property rights in, um, in our society. And yes, the government can expropriate property and they can, you know, they, they have the power to do that, but they're much, much less likely to do that than to play with currency, for example. Yeah. So much easier. Yeah. It would have, there would have <laughs> to be some huge issue or problem in society where they started taking control of. Uh, so I just want to dig in a little bit deeper. So let's understand why the government actually does print the money because they're, they're not just doing it for fun, right? They're <laughs> I wonder. <laughs> <laughs> like I get the sense they have to do it. Otherwise, you know, they're, um, yeah, they're, they're not gonna be able to pay off their debts. Well, there's no, nobody's trying to pay off the debts, right? They're just trying to make the interest payments on the debts. So we often look at the U.S. because that's sort of the biggest example, but in Canada, it's, it's, it's worse. Um, but there's a huge percentage of the U.S. Uh, federal budget that goes towards just paying debts, right? And they don't pretend that they're trying to pay any debts off. They're just making interest payments so that when, you know, if they have a thousand dollar bond, they just want to make the interest payments on that bond. So when it rolls over, so when it matures, right, because it could be a two year term or a 10 year term or a 30 year term. So somebody bought a bond, a 10 year bond. They said, yeah. we're going to pay your money back plus whatever in 10 years. Yeah. And the government's responsible to pay that. Yeah. So they have to, in order for people to have confidence in the government, they have to um, redeem that bond and pay the 2% or the 3% to that investor. But what happens is they don't, that bond doesn't get paid off. They just do a new debt issuance in that same month or that same year for the equivalent amount, because they can't afford to actually pay off all the debt that they have. There's like mathematically they can't. And we're getting to the point where it may soon be mathematically impossible for the government to actually pay the interest on the debt. <laughs> so I don't think we, we're going to get into that too far here, but plenty of charts out there that, that look at this and, you know, the U S federal, um, budget and where it goes and, and the issue with inflation as well. Um, it can be good because it can eat away your debt, but the problem is when you're rolling over these bonds and there's a huge amount of government debt that's set to roll over the next three years or so, like at least 35% of it or so, 
So that's going from a historically low interest rate where they may have been paying 2% to maybe that doubles to 4% or to whatever the, uh, whatever the current rate is for those bonds, right? So if you think the interest payments are already a huge part, like 10% of the, of the, um, of the uh, budget, well, now that is going to double, right? The amount of money that they owe doesn't double, but the interest payments do because they have to pay that much more in order to entice people to buy the new bonds, right? They could do a, a bond issuance at the same rate. Well, maybe nobody will buy that. We've seen that where they've done a thing. And then they're in trouble. Nobody bought it. Central bank ends up buying it. And, uh, you know, that's a whole, <laughs> a whole other, uh, whole other issue again. But yeah, basically the interest rates are, you know, go up with inflation and uh, they have to kind of keep pace or nobody will buy them. So we see that government spending, it's, it's, it's a debt spiral, essentially, unless something changes, eventually you get to a point where all the money you're taking in is going towards debt payments or it's half of it's going to debt payments. And that's an imaginable scenario in the near future. Well, what about all the other stuff that you pay for, like entitlements, right? Entitlement spending in the States is huge. So that's things like uh, Medicare and Social Security and all that stuff, right? So there's also things like infrastructure and the military and, you know, other, never mind discretionary items that they could spend. They have to cut all of those in order to keep up with the debt payments. So, yeah, so it, there's a, and that, um, just to kind of, summarize what you've been saying like so it seems like um the system is set up so that there is um a, a constant need to print more money basically yeah. to service debt and to um, to take care of that um and in that case when you have uh this no matter what the rhetoric is in the news or when no matter what the government or central bank says at the end of the day mathematically speaking they have to actually print money to pay their debts and to make it happen. And they've historically always done that. Mm -hmm. um, and we're coming to a point where um, they're going to have to do that again. So in that environment um, where we can look to the future, 10 and 20 years, um, at some point it kind of breaks, but until then um, you can expect more dollars. And when you expect more dollars, that means more inflation. Yep. Um, and what do you want to be owning when there's more inflation on the horizon, more dollars is um, something that is scarce or something that does not, um, cannot just be easily produced. So if you can take your savings and turn it into an asset that, um, you know, somebody can't just print more land, um, yeah. at least not that I'm aware of. <laughs> but if you can own that instead, then you know, you, you can, you can kind of get for yourself a mortgage at today's, um, amount of dollars. And then in 20 years, you'll have a mortgage, um, denominated in dollars that there's going to be way more dollars. So it's actually be worth a lot less. So nominally, like, let's say you got a $500,000 loan today and you get a $500,000 loan in 20 years, or like you, you don't never pay it off. You just have it. It's actually going to be worth less because, um, there'll be so much more dollars in the system. Yes. So, so holding assets is what's going to, going to save you there. So yeah, the maybe, maybe we want to wrap it up there and we've kind of circled around so many <laughs> different, uh, issues here, but 
Um, maybe we, we continue the conversation next time. And just to summarize, so we've gone from uh, leverage and income, third-party pay down, price appreciation, the infinite piggy bank, and inflation. So all reasons why uh, investing in real estate can be uh, used to your advantage and um, is a huge opportunity in today's environment mm -hmm. over against other asset classes that are available. So hopefully uh, you gained something from this and we added some value here. Uh, and until next time, um, thanks for watching. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Two Stewards Show. If you like my voice better, click subscribe. And if you like my voice better, click share. If you like both, give us a five-star rating. To interact with the show, feel free to reach out at hello at twostewards.ca. We'll see you in the next episode. In the meantime, steward your wealth wisely.